All right, so if you missed last week, it was a great message. Uh, we finished up 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I really want to encourage you because it has so much to, to do with the passage we're talking about th- this morning. If you missed that, check it out this week. Go back and watch it uh, because it's a great passage so clearly talking about the goodness of Jesus, the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. And the conclusion of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians is that we are called to be ambassadors. That if this is true about Jesus, that he's got a call on our lives and he wants to use you, he wants to use me to make an appeal to those who don't know him so they can hear and see his goodness, the awesome eternal weight of glory of what he's done for them through Jesus. And so that's where we pick off, uh, pick up this morning in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 13. And there's three points we're going to go through. First is on mission with God. Second is on mission in weakness. And lastly, on mission for reconciliation. On mission with God, on mission in weakness, and on mission for reconciliation. And like I said, this passage in chapter 6 is so tied to the end of chapter 5, this clear gospel message. We cannot be on mission with God if we don't know what the message of the mission is. So I want to even start uh, by reading the end of chapter 5 again for us, verses 20 through 21. This is what it says. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of God to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a, a, a clear salvation uh, passage. This beautiful, this is what God has done for us. God took Jesus, who had no sin, who had never done anything wrong, and made him sin, gave, gave him our sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That on the cross, when Jesus died, he took your weight, the weight of your sin, your shame, your failures, your brokenness, my failures, my brokenness. And if we put our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and turn our lives not to be focused on what we were living for before, but turn our eyes and our life to Jesus to live for him, what God says is that he takes away our sinfulness gives it to Jesus, and then he clothes us in God's righteousness, in Jesus' righteousness, so that God no longer sees you for the worst thing you've ever done, but he sees you as he sees Jesus, righteous, holy. That is the good news, the awesome weight of glory, what Jesus has done for us, new life, fullness of life in him. That is the message that we are to carry and to give to others. And so if that's true, What God calls us to in this passage is that we're called to be ambassadors, that God wants to use your life to make an appeal to others so they too can be reconciled to God as well. And so that's where chapter 6 kicks off. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 here. It says this, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. What Paul starts with in chapter 6 is this challenge, encouragement, do not receive the grace of God in vain. And what he's saying is, 
Don't miss what I just ended in, with in chapter 5. Don't miss the gospel. Don't just let that go in one ear and out the other. And this is what the church in Corinth was struggling with at times, where they knew what Jesus had done for them. They'd known what Paul had taught them, but at times they weren't living it out. And we can struggle with this as well. We can view the gospel and what Jesus has done or what you've heard growing up in church as something intellectual. Oh, I know that to be true, but it doesn't take a hold and captivate our lives. What this passage is saying, what Jesus has done for us demands a response. It demands a response for us. Don't hear it in vain. We either need to respond by saying, what Jesus has done for me, I don't want it. I reject him. I don't want to live for him. Or we need to surrender our lives to him completely. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. There's no hearing the gospel in vain. And so he says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the favorable day. Jesus has made a way for you. He's done all this for you. How will you respond? And if we do give our lives to Jesus, what he's called us to is what he says at the end of chapter 5, which is to be ambassadors, to live for Christ. And part of this is because it's not just a day of salvation for us and for you. It's a day of salvation for anyone who would believe in Jesus. And, and what I don't want you to miss is this. God has this huge calling on your life if you're a follower of him. He says, I'm going to use you. Your life is purpose that I've placed you places to make an appeal, that I'm going to work through you so people would understand and hear the goodness of my love for them. It's weighty. But don't miss the first few words of chapter 6, working together with him. I I want to say it this way. Look to the screen here. We are not just workers for God, but with God. We are not just workers for God, but with God. And so, yes, you've been called to be ambassadors, and so easily we can do that in our own power. We can try to go on a solo mission, or we can forget even that we're supposed to be ambassadors in the first place. But what God says here in chapter 6 is that we are on mission with God, that he is co-laboring with us, that he's working in our lives. Yes, he's got a plan, a a purpose, a mission, this weighty call for your life, but you are not doing it alone. So part of that, we need to remember that we are on mission. We need to remember that God has this call for us, but that we're not doing it in our own power as well. And so that gives us a lot of freedom and encouragement in living on mission for Jesus. Because that means we can be responsible for our, 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 our own obedience. We can live for, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to pursue you. But then we can also trust God that he is the one working in the hearts and minds of the people we share the goodness of Jesus with. That we can take some of that weight off of us because it's not us trying to have the most convicting, convincing argument to win them into heaven. It's us being obedient to Jesus as his co-laborer, co-laborer and him working in their hearts and minds. We're not just workers for God, but with God. And our tendency, I know mine, is to do it in my own power, to go on a solo mission. Before you became a follower of Jesus, that's what we did, right? I was trying to be holy enough on my own, good enough on my own, to have worth and value and success, relationships, you name it. We did it in our own power. And so even in relationship with Jesus, we we can try to revert back to that. And we either forget that we are on mission with God, or... Sometimes we go in the opposite direction of him. We, we take our agenda instead of his mission. 
And so what I, what I was thinking about with this idea is a two-person canoe. Right? If you, two-person canoes are designed for two people to paddle together. And yeah, if it's, it's one person, you can kind of get where you're going, but you're not going to go straight. And if you're not experienced, you're going you're gonna to go in circles. You're not going to go clearly and get to where you need to go. And sometimes that's kind of how we live our lives following Jesus. Either we forget we're on mission with God and we don't paddle, we're not doing in this work, we're not living as ambassadors, or at times we're paddling, but we're paddling for our own agenda, we're paddling uh, not towards God's mission. And one of the ways we do that is is listed in verse 3. It says, uh, we uh, put no obstacles in anyone's way. At times, one of the ways we paddle in the opposite direction of God is that we put obstacles in people's way when we're supposed to be ambassadors. When it says obstacles, what I want you to think about is is weeding your your garden, your yard. What you're trying to do is you're getting rid of the weeds so that the plants you want to grow have the nutrients, water, sunlight that they need. You're, You're trying to prevent them from being hindered in growing. So he says, don't put something in someone's past as you pass path as you try to be an ambassador, that's actually going to hinder them from hearing the goodness of Jesus. And so he says, get rid of these obstacles. We don't want to have them as we live for Jesus. And so I want to give you a list of some of those I think we wrestle with just in our practical life. It's going to be on the screen for us as well. First is how you say it, how you share the gospel. Again, we're on mission with God. We want to live for him, share the gospel, but your tone and your attitude matters. If you're trying to win an argument with somebody, you might win your argument, but you're not going to share the gospel well. It's an obstacle, right? Your attitude, your heart, the way you say things matters. You're trying to tell them the best news ever, not win an argument. Second thing here is personal bias. Sometimes we let things that aren't gospel issues actually become hindrances, roadblocks, obstacles, and people hearing the gospel. Politics is an easy one. Because we're the most polarized we've ever been, and we can view people who vote differently than us, that have different agendas uh, with what they're pro or for and what they vote for, we view them as enemies. And at times, if you were honest about your own heart, you're like, I don't even want them to experience Jesus. They're my enemies. And that prevents us. It's an obstacle for us even sharing, but it's an obstacle for us even having close enough relationships with people that disagree with us personally to share the gospel. Third is uh, uh, hypocrisy and moral failure. You've seen this in the church a lot over the last few decades. But when we live out religion, white picket fence Christianity, where we pretend like we have it all together, uh, but we don't actually live out what God's called us to do, it pushes people away. What people need to see is a real relationship with Jesus. Not a perfect person, but someone who is real about their faith and their need for him. Next is a lack of love and empathy for others. You cannot reach people for the gospel you do not love. It is impossible. We need to love people the way that God loves people. And and this plays out in a lot of different ways, but sometimes how I need to uh, check my own heart in this is we can have expectations of people who aren't followers of Jesus to live like they are. And when they don't, we get angry, we get frustrated, and we don't love them the way that Jesus loves them. Next is isolation. And we can all do this. We, we stay in our own bubbles. Uh, and, and maybe you don't spend enough time with unbelievers to know their worldview, what they're wrestling with, uh, and, and, or to even have the opportunity to know them well enough 
to share the gospel with them. Next is come and see evangelism. And this is one that has been a part of our culture for a while, but it's the idea of, I don't need to share the gospel. I'll invite them to church and I'll let a professional do it, right? Sean will tell them the gospel. It'll be great. But this doesn't work for two reasons. First, God hasn't just called me to be an ambassador. He's called all of you to be an ambassador. That God wants to use your life to make an appeal to people that they see the goodness, the awesomeness, the fullness of life that Jesus provides. The second reason is this. Our culture has changed. The majority of people who are not followers of Jesus will not step in this room. And that's okay because God has not called us to invite people to a room. He's called them to us to invite them to himself. And he's given you that mission and he's on mission with you to do it. Hear this though. When I say we need to get rid of obstacles and things that are hindering people, this does not mean that we are watering down the gospel, what Jesus has done and how he's called us to live. Because when we do that, we don't give people the real Jesus. We don't give them a saving Jesus. So at times we get afraid. We don't want people to be offended by Jesus. And here's the reality. Uh, The message of Jesus is offensive. And what I mean by that is this. If you give your life to Jesus, you have to believe a couple things. One of those is that you're sinful, that you aren't good enough on your own, and that you actually need a Savior. And in that, you have to admit, uh, the way I was living, the way, what I viewed was right and wrong, what I was living for was actually not good for me. And I need to surrender my life to Jesus to live for what he says is good, even if I disagree. That's offensive. And so at times people are going to reject Jesus, but this is what we need to see here on the screen. I think this is an important truth for us. If people reject Jesus, and they will at times, if people reject Jesus, we want them to reject him and not reject our tone, hypocrisy, and our lack of care for them, right? At times, the gospel message is offensive. We are co-laborers with him. So we're going to trust God to work in the hearts and minds of people, enabling them to believe, but we can't water down the truth of it as a weed or as an obstacle, okay? We are co-laborers on mission with Christ to reconcile people to himself, That brings us to our second point this morning, on mission in weakness. And it comes from verse 4 through 10. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. But by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor and slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown yet as well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. And so, yes, we're on mission with God, but what Paul starts with here is really interesting. He starts by commending himself or praising himself or saying, my ministry, my salvation is legitimate because of these things. But Paul doesn't do what we'd expect here. He doesn't say it's because of all these uh, churches I've planted are all the people that have come to know Jesus because of me. But what he says is, uh, what he praises himself for, 
is that he's endured, that he's endured, endured suffering. And so what I want you to hear is this. A lot of times we look at our lives and we say, how do we know whether, whether we really have salvation? Or how do we know whether this person's really a believer? And we say, of course, it's, it's blessing. It's how God's blessed their lives or all the things that they've done. But one of the key marks throughout the New Testament of what God says is a, a proof of salvation is enduring with God, lasting till the end, standing firm, clinging to Jesus when it's hard. And so it's not money, it's not success, it's not these other things, it's not how big a pastor's church is or how many books he's written. Those are not things that, that are, are prove salvation. What Paul says here is enduring. And then he lists off all these things that he has had to endure in suffering. And he breaks them down in kind of three categories here. First, he's, uh, first part is general suffering. So these are afflictions, hardships, calamities. Big scale, man, this is just a bad situation, right? Hardships, I don't want to be in it. And then second, he lists off persecutions. These are sufferings on behalf of other people because he shared Jesus with them. Beatings, imprisonments, riots. And lastly, personal. Ministry is hard. He's working hard. He's laboring. He's lost sleep. He's, he hasn't had enough to eat because he's been serving Jesus. He's been on mission, and he's endured in the midst of weakness and suffering. And this is not to downplay how hard our lives are. Like there's hard things about my life. You are suffered in ways that maybe I will never understand. But Paul's life is hard, guys. Harder than and probably most of ours will ever be. That he was shipwrecked, stoned nearly to death, imprisoned for his faith. He's, he's experienced incredible hardship. So how do you endure? How do you last in a situation like that? How do you not, uh, not just give up and fail? And more than that, how do you still live for Jesus when you experience all of these hardships? I think part of it is remembering and, and clinging to the end of chapter 5, this awesome salvation, this eternal future hope, the weight of glory, what Jesus has done to us. We're clinging to this future hope of, oh, Jesus is so awesome. We have the fullness of life in him. But it's more than that here. It's that, that we have a hope for right now as well, that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of your hardship, God is in it with you. Again, you are co-laboring with God. All of what Paul's experienced here, God was with him and working through it for him. And we see that in verses 6 and 7. He begins to list off... Um, just different aspects of fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit produces in us. He says, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, the power of God, weapons of righteousness. So what he says is, uh, yeah, it was brutal, but how I endured is God was with me, and while he was with me, he produced this fruit of the Spirit, godly character, and he worked in my life, and I wasn't alone in it. And so the question for you is, what do you cling to when life is hard? Because it will be. And what do you cling to when following Jesus costs you something? Because it will. What do you cling to? I was at a community group uh, cookout a few weeks ago. It was awesome. Uh, beautiful house. They have a pool in their backyard. And so I brought my two oldest daughters who are just kind of learning to swim. 
And my oldest, Rowan, I'd got sunblock on her. Um, and while I was about to put sunblock on my youngest daughter, I said, hey, you can get in the pool. There's a shallow end. She could touch in. And there's this uh, nice rope that roped off the deep end with some buoys, very clearly marked. And I said, hey, Rowan, you stay in the shallow end where you can touch. Uh, do not go into the deep end. You will not be able to touch. I'm going to turn around for 10 seconds. I'm going to put sunblock on your sister. Uh, stay in the shallow end. And of course, all this happens in the first two minutes of me being at this pool. So I turn around, and I put sunblock on my, old, uh, my younger daughter, and I turn back around, and Rowan has gone two feet into the deep end, and she's flailing with her arms kicking it up in the air. And so I got to switch into super dad mode. I, like, shove Rory out of the way, and then I superman dive in the pool, right? Uh, I mean, my community group said it was, like, a perfect dive, so it was awesome. And so I got her, and praise God, like, she was okay. It was a little scary for her. What, what helps a six-year-old girl stay in the pool after having that scary experience, right? What, what helps her? What helps her to be able to have fun and enjoy that still? What it was for Rowan is that I was with her in it. Right? So I got her. We got back in the shallow end. She didn't want to get down on her own. I held her on my hip. And I said, hey, it's okay. I am here with you in the midst of it. And what I want to remind you guys of, in the midst of life, when it's hard, when following Jesus costs you something, God is with you. That you are on mission with God. You are not on this solo mission. That you need to cling to him, hold to him, because he is there with you. The Spirit of God is there with you, producing Holy Spirit fruit in you. Paul's ministry was not successful for any other reason than the fact that when it was hard, when he was weak, he clung to Jesus. That's what he did. And he lists that out in the rest of this section of Scripture, verses 8, 9, and 10. He lists all these comparisons, all these different um, ways he was disrespected, uh, experienced weakness and suffering, that he was rejected, he was viewed as an imposter, Unknown, dying, punished, uh, killed, uh, sorry, sorrowful, poor, having nothing. How does he still uh, endure in the midst of that? He's reminded that, that God is there with him, and yet there is something else better. He's clinging to Jesus. That even if all of these things are taken away, he can still possess everything because the eternal weight of Jesus, the glory of the hope that he has, is better. And not just that, that God is in the midst of it with him. I want to read for you a passage really quick from Habakkuk three seventeen through 19. One of my favorite passages of all scripture says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk is great because he doesn't say when God takes away superficial things. He says if there's no fruit, if there's no food, there's no animals to eat tomorrow, I will still rejoice in God. Why? Because God is the Lord of my salvation. My salvation, his goodness, his awesomeness, what he has for me can never be taken away. Even if everything else is, something else is better. And even when I feel weakness and hardship, God is with me and he is my strength. We are on mission in weakness. 
Even when life is hard and it costs us something to follow Jesus, we are on mission with God in our weakness. That brings us to our last point this morning, which is on mission for reconciliation. And it comes from uh, chapter 6, verse 11 uh, through 13. It says this, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your heart also. What is our mission with Jesus? It's to be on mission for reconciliation, that that God would make an appeal through us, that he would use us to help people be reconciled to God, know him, be forgiven, experience his goodness. And part of what this, this few verses is saying is that how are we to reconcile others to God if we are not willing to reconcile with others? Paul is, is a great example here. He speaks to the church in Corinth and says, uh, and the background here is they've rejected him. They've believed false teachers over him. They've betrayed him. And yet he writes them. He loves them. His heart is broken for them. He says, my heart is wide to you. And he's speaking to them as though they're his children out of love. Come back, follow Jesus, do what you're supposed to do. And so I think what we wrestle with here, and some of this is cultural, but we're in this season where we're quick to callous our hearts to people. We're quick to say, hey, you've hurt me, and it will not happen again. And again, boundaries are good. I'm not saying that, that they're bad, but there is times where we are quick to block people up and say, I will not forgive you for the same thing again. And what, what that ends up producing is it's an obstacle, a hindrance for the gospel. And we need to know that. We need to hear that. Uh, my mom used to, to quote this scripture to me, and it might have only been one time, but it was ingrained in my, my mind. Uh, it's Ephesians 4, 32. It says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So she would say this to me when I was mad at my sister, which is like kind of a trump card. It, it, it's not very fair. So like I'm mad at my sister, and I'm like, well, I, gotta, I guess I got to forgive her because God's forgiven me. Um, but it's true, Right? Our outpouring of love and forgiveness for others pours out of our understanding and the depths of our understanding of God's love and forgiveness for us. And so the question for you is, who do you need to reconcile with so that you can help reconcile them to God? Or maybe, who are you not reconciling with that becomes a barrier for other people as they watch your life to say, I know it says she's a follower of Jesus, but man, the way she treats her family or the way she treats this people, it doesn't seem like it at all. Who do you need to reconcile with? Who do you need to ask God to soften your heart to? Maybe it's groups of people that you view as enemies so that you can be a witness on mission for Jesus without this hindrance. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to love like Jesus? Again, I've said this earlier in this message, but you cannot reach people for the gospel that you do not love. You cannot reach people for the gospel that you do not love like God loves them and view like Jesus views them. And so he says here, widen your hearts. Don't view it like a a narrow, uh, you know, compare it to narrow-mindedness. Paul's saying at times we have narrow hearts. He calls us the Grinch. Your heart is three times too small, 
right? And, and God's saying, widen your heart, love people like I do so that you cannot wake up tomorrow without saying, I need to tell them about the goodness of Jesus. I need to reconcile with them so that they can hear and not be hindered to believe in the goodness of what Jesus has done for them. And I think if we're honest, if we evaluated our lives, we would see that the, the only reason we're a follower of Jesus today is that God used somebody in our lives. He made an appeal through them to us to hear the gospel. And this person had an open heart to you, loved you, was patient with you, even when you didn't deserve it. For me, that was one of my middle school small group leaders. Uh, and man, if you, if you help out with midweek, you guys are awesome, right? Middle schoolers are hard. And this guy... This guy gave up his time for us. He prayed with us, read the Bible with us. He was married, had kids, had a job, and yet he took time out of his day to spend time with us, even when we didn't deserve it, even when we were kind of jerks to him. And God used him tremendously, whether he saw the fruit right away or not. Who opened their hearts to you and showed you Jesus? And again, on the flip side of that, who is God planning to use you to appeal to them to open your heart to them so that they come to know Jesus. Your life is on mission with God in weakness for reconciliation. Don't miss that. We talked about three points this morning. Again, on mission with God, on mission in weakness, on mission for reconciliation. We're on mission with God. You are not doing this alone. And the mission you've been called to because of the goodness, the awesomeness of Jesus is that your life is now an ambassador for Christ on mission to make an appeal that others can experience the goodness of what you've experienced in Jesus. And yet he is in the trenches with you. You are not alone, not doing it in your power, but his, he is working. And you're on mission in weakness. Life will be hard and it will cost you something to follow Jesus, but Jesus is in it with you. And he's going to use that to produce the Holy Spirit in you and fruit in your life and use that to point people to Jesus. People who are in similar suffering to you and feel hopeless and you can say, oh, but Jesus has been in this with me. He's going to use it in weakness. And lastly, we're on mission for reconciliation. What is the purpose of our lives? But to point people to Jesus, to reconcile them to him as well. Don't miss this. Don't live for something less, but be willing to reconcile and to love others and forgive others like Jesus has for you. We are on mission with God in weakness for reconciliation. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for tonight. I pray that you would... Uh, I guess this morning, sorry, I don't even know what time it is, God, but you know, and uh, I got to pray that you would speak through your word, that our hearts would hear this, that you would convict us, even convict me. Lord, I pray that I would see people the way that you see them, that my heart would be softened, that my heart would uh, just want to give people the goodness of what you've given me and that I cannot hold it back that you would be willing to use broken people like us, messy people like us who aren't perfect to make an appeal to a God, uh, uh, to a God who is so that people can experience forgiveness, hope, and love like we have. God, I thank you for using broken people like us and not sending us on a mission ourselves, but being on mission with us. God, help me to view my life that way. Help us to view our lives this way. In Jesus' name, amen.